Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter, and uh, welcome again to OCC. We are really excited to have all of you here this morning, and we hope that you have enjoyed some of the refreshments, and if there's more, which it looks like there is, you know, so mad dash to the tables after, after we're done here. Um, as you saw from that video, we're launching a brand new series today um, called Time for a Change, and if you're like me, then change is not something that you go looking for. Um, I never wake up, just burst out of bed and, and exclaim to my family, I'm ready to change today. Yes, it's the day of change. I, I never tell them to, to, well, sometimes I do say, get up and change, but, <clears throat> but I just realized that. But, but it's not anything I just burst out in, in, in joy and, and exclaim this. Really, what happens in life is that the need for change just kind of gets my attention. Or the need in your own life for change just kind of abruptly gets your attention. Uh, whether it's tension in a relationship or, or problems at work or struggles with finances or, or difficulty with anger where our blood begins to boil or, or our anxiety rises over stress or, or other emotions. We typically don't crave change, but it's the pressure points in our life that often highlight our need for change. And the truth is that all healthy and all living Things are constantly changing and growing. You saw that in the video. Just change is just a part of the life that we live. And so uh, if you're alive and you're healthy, then you are changing. You are growing. Now, this may not be good news, but all of us grow older. Um, you may not look at that as good news, but it's the reality. We all grow older. And, uh, but God wants to help us grow up. He wants to help us grow more mature in a certain way. And so what we're going to do is look at the, how it's, it's time for a change, though, in, in, in our lives. Here's a quick overview of where, where we're going over the next uh, three weeks. Today we're going to be looking at God's part in changing us. We're going to talk about Easter and what, what the resurrection means for us and how Jesus and really God, He took initiative and He supplies the power for real change. That's really what we're celebrating today. God is actually far more concerned with our need for change than we are. He's far more concerned with our growth and change than we are. Next week we're going to look at my part in how I change. Like, how, what should I do or what should I not do to help change actually occur? That's a question that we ask. What, what do I need to do? What is my part? Uh, then we're going to wrap up this series in a few weeks by talking about our part in change. We'll be looking at how the church and, and this community of faith can actually be used to help, you know, to help us move along from where we're at right now to where God wants us to be. And really, no matter where you're at in the journey, spiritually, we hope that you will realize that it's not too late for you to experience change. Some people feel like, I'm too far gone. My, my life is too complex. My problems are too heavy. It's, it's too late for change. But um, I would say that it's not. It's not too late for change. And, and uh, don't just take my word for it. Over, over the next three weeks, we're going to be uh, highlighting a story from one of the men of our congregation. His name is Eddie Aspars. He was up here. He's one of our um, worship band members. And he... Uh, He's a member of our congregation who discovered that real change was possible for him. And uh, here's the first snapshot of the story um, of how God began the change process within him. He's really going to be talking about what was, what was it that God did? What was God's part in changing him? And so I want you to listen in and then we'll pick it up after that. My relationship with God, or, well, it wasn't a relationship really. I didn't really look at it that way. I um, definitely 
had fear um, and somewhat reverence towards God, but not necessarily like personal. Um, just maybe fear of punishment or fear of like consequences. Um, that's what it was really revolved around. Um, guilted into, you know, going to church or things like that because God's going to punish me and if I don't go. You know, my mom used that one a lot. <laughs> like, God's going to punish you. You know, so, um, but at one point I kind of like thought, oh, well, you know, I've got it figured out. Me and God are cool. We've got to, you know, we're, I, I'm a pretty decent guy, so I, you know, I'm not as bad as everybody else kind of thing. So it was, then it was, then it became more of, as I grew older, it became more based on, um, like, comparison. As I looked at other people's lives, even my close friends that were fairly, I mean, they were pretty bad, <laughs> as I thought, but I thought I was, I was pretty good compared to them, so I guess, I, yeah, it's prideful. Yeah, anything that I think is good in my life, um, in comparison, or it still, it still misses the mark. Yeah, I, I can't do it on my own. That's the reality of it. I just, uh, no matter, no matter what, I'm, I'm completely hopeless without um, a savior. When I, I guess in the moments, especially when I, when I fail or I recognize and I see, like, um, like I see my sinful nature. In those moments, I, I'm grateful, and I'm reminded of how far God had to reach to to save me and met me where I was at even in <laughs> even in my pride just that God was personally involved in my life and I think uh, it was evident in in the way he he reached out to me through people and then when uh, the gospel was communicated to me it was very much more um, a message of love and um, just a desire for relationship and reconciliation uh, that really it was it was different than what I had grown up knowing I guess as you probably pick up from Eddie's story there was this he experienced this shift away from religion uh, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to him and so a religion to a relationship with a personal God who who pursued him, who reached out to him, and who rescued him out of his love. Eddie, you know, he's just one example of a a person who has invited God to change him from within, to come and change him from the inside. And we're going to be sharing more of Eddie's story and the change that has occurred over the next two weeks. And so we invite you to, to come and hear more of that. But God wants to change all of us really at the core, at our core. God wants to change us at our heart. And why is it that God goes after the heart, the inside? It's because our heart is like the cockpit of our life. Okay, here's a picture of a cockpit. And imagine that, that your heart is what determines the direction of your life. It ultimately guides your choices. It guides um, all things decision-wise. Another way of looking at this is that our heart is like our internal GPS system. Here's a picture of a GPS and you're probably really familiar with this. You have, might have this on your phone, or some people have GPSs that suction to the window in their car. And, and, you know, if you will, our heart is kind of like an internal GPS that sets the course and it takes us to a specific destination. And if our heart remains unchanged, then our lives just will not change. If what's on the inside is not changing, then the guidance is off 
The destination we arrive at is not where we want to be. So God, he wants to give us a new heart, really kind of new guidance system that leads us towards a brand new life. And um, last weekend I had a yard sale, I think, and it was about a week ago. We, we sold different things. One of the things I had to sell was this outdated Garmin device. It was 15-year-old Garmin navigation device and, um, at, a, at our yard sale. And here's a picture of uh, what I found online. And that's pretty much what you see. And uh, it's, it doesn't look very high-tech on there, and it didn't look very high-tech on the table I was trying to sell. And so people would walk up, and they'd look at it, and they'd, what is this? Oh, it's a, it's a GPS. <laughs> Try to say that with a straight face, you know? <laughs> Can't you tell? And uh, they'd look at it, and they'd put it down, and they'd walk away. Eventually this happened, and I didn't have the heart to sell it. And so because it's this outdated electronic device, and so I walked it over to the trash can and I chucked it and I threw it out. Why? Because at its core, the information was not right anymore. And its directions were not trustworthy. There's no use for anyone to have a 15-year-old mapping software. Uh, the, when you Google this device, it says, oh, by the way, along with the internal you know, guidance that you've got, there's expandable space of 1.5 megabytes. So you can upload a whole 1.5 additional, you know, that's going to crash. If you try to update it, you just crash it in a heartbeat, I'm sure. And so, but many times, this is how we approach change. We try to change the outside, not the inside. We want to change our behavior, but we really need a change of heart. And I could have polished off that garment. Maybe somebody would have bought it. <laughs> I could have cleaned it up really nice on the outside, but the truth is the directions were still off. Now, now we do this in life all the time. Here are some of the many ways that we... Um, try to change from the outside in. Well, one thing we do is we, we beat ourselves up. If I feel bad enough about the mistakes I've made or the things I've done or my poor choices or the things I've thought or the things I've said, then I just guilt myself into thinking, you know, you're so bad. And if I do that enough, I think I'll never do it again. But the problem is, as soon as the guilt wears off, I just find myself doing whatever my impulses tell me to do. Because just guilt on the outside doesn't fix Something broken on the inside. Another thing we try to do to change from the outside in is we try to change our scenery. You know, if I can get away from my circumstances, if I can just move, or if I can get away from these people that are in my life, then everything will be okay. And so what we try to do to change our scenery is we try to swap out all the people in our life. You might swap out some friends. You might swap out some family. can't always swap out family. But, you know, you might try to swap out people you might try to move to a new place, quit your job, make new friends. And it's true, sometimes circumstances and people can make it harder for us to change. But what if the original or the real crucial change that needs to happen is the change inside of us? What if it's an internal guidance problem? Also, we may try to change by turning to religion or another self-improvement plan. You know, if I can just become a better person. When I first got serious about following Jesus, I would try to do this. I thought, if I just can keep all the rules, then I'll get it right. If I just be a rule follower, then... But the problem is, I kept experiencing the same problems over and over. The rules weren't fixing my compulsion to blow past the boundaries. And so, it wasn't that I needed more rules. What it was, was I needed a new ruler who would change me from the inside. I needed something on the inside, deeper. Reality is, we can often see what... We need to do, but we lack the power to do it. We often can see the change that needs to occur in our life, but we just can't figure out. We don't have the, the power to pull that change off. And here's the good news. In 
you'd like, you can follow along in this listening guide. It's in your, it's in your, uh, in your bulletin. And at the top it says this. Our hope for change is wrapped up in Jesus' resurrection. That's at the top there. Our hope for change is wrapped up in Jesus' resurrection. You see, the main event that we celebrate on Easter is that God raised Jesus from the dead. This is, this is what we celebrate Easter, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that is and still, you know, that is and has been the greatest source of joy for the past 2,000 years who believe that, for people who believe that. Peter is one person that believed that, and he, he's one of Jesus' closest followers. Um, he wrote two hope-filled letters to early Christians. And in the beginning of his letter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, after he introduces himself, he says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So Peter, he just launches and he says, thank you, God. He starts with this whole praise of blessed be God. He's like, thank you, God. Because in God's great mercy, he caused us to be born again. He's talking about an internal change that happened that, that Peter, he's, just, he's expressing in gratitude. Now, Peter and all the early Christians that he wrote to, all of you and me, there's one thing we all have in common is we need, we need a rescue. All of us, we've all chosen to rule our own lives. We've all chosen to be our own rulers. And in doing this, we've all rebelled against, against the God who made us and who loves us. And so we've all decided to just walk a path on our life and set our own rules to run our own show and, and, and maybe even run away from God in a totally different direction. And the penalty for a life of rebellion is separation from God, both here and now and, and on into eternity. And so it's kind of like we needed rescue. It's like because of that, we needed a rescuer. It's like a person, it's like we were several stories up in a high-rise building on a balcony and we're on the balcony, and someone's like, hey, be careful. And you're like, I got this. And you're on the balcony, and you're like, I've got this under control. It's a little bit of how we approach our lives, just choosing to do our own thing in life. Well, we lose our balance. We fall off the balcony, and we begin falling to our death. And Jesus, he positions himself to catch us, basically. He breaks our fall. We don't break any bones. He catches us. In fact, we walk away from the fall. But he took the full impact. He bore our pain. That's really what Jesus has done for us. He died in our place. He took the fall for us. He took our penalty upon himself. What Peter's saying is that was an act of unimaginable kindness. He says, according to God's great mercy, he died in our place. But that wasn't the end. We celebrate Easter because three days later, Jesus came back to life. And his resurrection is really where we find all of our hope. We didn't do anything to earn this this gift, this was all on God's part. That's why Peter says, hey, God caused us to be born again. He's the one that caused us to be born again. What that does is it results in what Peter describes as a living hope. Based on the living, resurrected Son of God, Jesus. And Peter, he's not the only person to write about the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, I want to show you another passage of a guy named Paul. He, he wrote to a different church, to a different group of Christians in the first century. And he wrote about this, how our hope is rooted in a real person in history. And he reminds these early Christians that we're, all of our hope and our faith is built upon something that is, is solid. It's 
rooted in a real person in history. And I want to read you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verses 1 and 2. These two verses are not in your listening guide, but they're up here on the screen. I want to give you a little bit of the, the background. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. He's saying, this is what your faith is built on. Verse 2, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's saying, hey, make sure that your hope is built on what I'm about to tell you. He's saying, this is the hope that we have. But make sure your hope is built on this. If it's not, you're hoping in something in vain. Now, verse 3, this is in your listening guide. He says this, and this is really a great summary of the Christian faith. And really, what we're celebrating. He says, for I delivered you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. See, over and over, either directly or indirectly, either literally and in figures of speech, the Old Testament foretold Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. This was not some random new event that all of a sudden just happened. This was all foretold. And so Peter's he's talking about this is all done according to the Scriptures. This was already revealed that this would happen. Now verse 5 says this, After Jesus was raised from the dead, it says, Then he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is uh, Peter. Okay? Then to the twelve. Now that's the twelve disciples. Then he appeared to more, it says, Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Well, fallen asleep meant they, they were no longer alive. They had basically died. And so he's saying some of these people that saw Jesus raised from the dead are now they're, they're dead. They're no longer here. But some of them are still alive. And so he's telling that. He's saying that because he's like, he's cluing them in on, if you have doubts about this, go and check. Go and verify with these people who saw him. There's still some that are living. Verse 7 says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul writing. So in our world, eyewitness testimonies are considered some of the most reliable forms of evidence. This passage, it lists a bunch of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. It starts with Peter. He's one of those eyewitnesses that saw Jesus risen. Then the rest of the 12 disciples. Then James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. I don't have a brother, but some of you have a brother. And Can you pull something on your brother, really? Can you trick your brother? It's, t- it's tough to trick a sibling because they know you well. You know, It's hard to pull one on your brother. And I think... Paul is writing about James because he's Jesus' brother. He's one that could verify, yeah, he, this is my brother. He, he really is alive. And then he says, even a group of 500 at one time. You see, what we gather from the, from the Bible is this. This was not just a one-time shot like Jesus rose from the dead and he was like, surprise, here I am, poof, and he's gone. And then you're like, did that just happen? Did someone see that? Did anybody see that? No, that must have been just a figment of my imagination. And then, you know, we build the faith on that. No, that's not at all the resurrection of Jesus. What you get in this passage is the historical record is that he showed himself alive to many people. All around Jerusalem over a period of 40 days, he he was making appearances. And now what is amazing is from this small group of convinced followers, there was a movement that began which continues to change people's lives all around the world. In the Apostles... Peter and the 12 that are mentioned here, because they were the major leaders of the church, they kept the movement rolling forward 
after Jesus ascended to heaven, they just kept the Jesus movement rolling. They kept advancing and sharing the news that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. What's interesting about the, the followers of Jesus is that all of these men, except for one, well, all of them were radically changed by the resurrection. All but one of them, all but one of the twelve, died martyr's death. You may not have known that. These, these first followers who were highly committed, they paid with their lives to spread the message of Jesus. Some by crucifixion, beheading, spearing, clubbed to death. One of them died in exile. He was, he was just, they tried to kill him. They threw him in scalding oil. He didn't die. They put him and they exiled him in an island. They wouldn't renounce their belief in the, res- in the resurrected Jesus because they were convinced that Jesus died. They saw it. And then he was buried. And then they were convinced that he rose from the dead. He, he appeared to them. They saw the scars on his hand. And their testimonies and Jesus' own appearances were enough to really to prove and to create a widespread movement that has continued on. And archaeologists and historians, they tell us that within 20 years of the resurrection, Jerusalem, a city of 250,000 people, within 20 years, 100 to 125,000 people believed in Jesus within 20 years. And so half the city of Jerusalem became believers in Jesus, is what history tells us. Now that's, again, there's all of this compelling evidence that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. And then Paul, he's the one who's writing 1 Corinthians He's the last person mentioned in this list. He was a Jewish religious leader. He would have been hard to convince because he had been an enemy of the church. He wanted to stamp out Christianity, and he was traveling towards uh, a city known as Damascus, intent upon dragging Christians who, who, who were in these homes, intent upon dragging them out of their homes and having them tried and then killed for their faith in Jesus. And on the way to carrying out this act... Um, he, he meets Jesus himself. And so he has this vision. Jesus appears before him and gets hold of his life. He does this giant U-turn with his life. Paul, who was once an enemy, now becomes the primary pioneer to spread Christianity to the rest of the known world. I want to show you a map of Paul's journeys, missionary journeys. Paul, he makes this major impact on the world. It's kind of like he told the, the earliest closest followers of Jesus, the disciples, he said, you guys cover Jerusalem, I'm going to go reach the world. And he did. All these lines are the journeys that Paul went on, all throughout Asia Minor, into Europe. The gospel, the message of Jesus, that he had actually risen from the dead, spread. Paul makes it clear, though, in the next two verses, that it is the power and it's the grace of God that brings lasting change. It's the power and the grace of God that, that really can change us. Look at verse 9, 1 Corinthians, after he, after he covers who has seen Jesus, then he says about himself, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul, he, he, he chose an attitude of humility and, and really gratitude when he's describing himself that he got to see what had happened and then that he got to spread this message. He says, last of all, you know, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's saying, I'm the least. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. Guys, 
Men, did you ever did you ever play basketball or football at lunch during grade school? The worst thing is to be picked last. And I can say that because I was picked last many times. And I would try to stand up without obviously standing up higher. But it's kind of a humiliating deal to be picked last. Well, in Paul's mind, that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, I was picked last to be on the team of apostles. But he didn't mind. He was just grateful to be on the team. He's like, I'm just out of gratitude. He could have been one to just roll out a list of religious accomplishments because before becoming a Christian, he was a zealous member of the Jewish religious community. But here's the thing you need to understand is a key to change is coming to the place where you are willing to admit that you have nothing good to offer God and that you need his mercy. That's a key to change. You have to be willing to admit that you have nothing good to offer God and that and you really do need his mercy. We heard Eddie say that in his video. He said, I can't do it on my own. I came to the point, I, I can't do it on my own. I'm completely hopeless without a Savior. That's exactly what Paul is describing in this passage. He's saying, it's the grace of God that changes me. And to receive God's grace, you have to be willing to admit that you fall short of God's plan and His glory. You can never be good enough to earn your own way into eternal life, to establish a relationship with God on your own. You need God's help. Whenever you place your faith in Christ, which means you trust Him with your life and you turn around from doing life your own way, then God gives grace. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. God gives grace in that moment. This is God's part in the process of change. He provides the power and the motivation. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is still able to help you with your problems. It's able to help you with your dead ends. He can bring real change from the inside. That's, that's what he aims to get at, is the heart. Even if God never did anything else, he purchased our salvation with his own blood. By giving up his life, he went all the way to death on a cross to purchase us out of slavery and to, and to break the bondage of sin. That's all of our old dead ways. That's what he's done. He certainly deserves our love and our devotion because he went first to make a way. And if you're ready to respond to him, we would love to help you to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ um, today. If you would like to talk with somebody, we don't want to put any pressure on you, but if you would like to talk with someone, we have an information and guest table. Our staff will be back there. You can certainly drop by if you want to, if you have any questions. Um, I want to invite the worship team back up to the stage and ask the ushers also to prepare to receive our offering. When the ushers come by, um, um, I want to ask everyone, if you drop this connection card in the basket when it comes by, that would be a real helpful thing to let us know you were here. And just want to wrap things up. By asking you to take, uh, consider taking a next step. And first off, I wanted to see if you would be willing to take a survey, spiritual survey. Easter is a great time to stop and to consider where you're at in your spiritual journey. So I'd like you to just kind of gauge where you're at in your relationship with God at this point. And so on the back of this card, you'll see there's a couple things. One is on the left, it says next steps says, I'll take this next step. The first one says, take a spiritual survey. And I want to let you know what these A, B, C, and Ds are, okay? So A is this. If A describes you, look at them all before you figure out where you fit, okay? Um, A is already, I've already received Jesus as the boss, as the Lord. You've already decided to, to yield your life to Christ. You're living for Him. You're walking with Him. Um, this is just part of your life. B would be, um, I'm believing today for the very first time. Meaning, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again, and I admit that I need his forgiveness, and I'm ready to make him Lord. 
If you're deciding to follow Christ today, we would love to help you grow in that decision. If you circle B, we'll send you some information. And then if you'd like to have a dialogue, if you'd like to talk with someone, we'd love to set that up. C would be considering. I'm considering. Basically, I'm open. I'm not sure if I'm ready to, to become a Christian yet and follow Christ. Um, we want to help you explore at your own pace, but it lets us know how to pray. If you're considering, we'll be praying for you as you consider. And then D is, I don't think I ever will believe. I've sorted through this issue already. Um, I would say still, you're welcome here. We have many people who've investigated these claims for months. It's a part of our church. And some for even over over a year. And they were just investigating. And, and so I would encourage you, wherever you're at, would you just circle where you think you're at at this point? And then here's... Here's uh, the other next steps. Actually, can you just leave this here for a second? People might need a second to, to figure out. So A, B, C, or D. If you're not sure, you could circle like A, B or B, C. You know, and we can always follow up with you. The second next step here is pray this week that God would continue his change in me. Would you start praying? If, if you sense it is time for change, would you pray that God would continue that work of change in you? And then last... We want to invite you to attend the rest of the series to learn how to grow. And we're really glad that you're here, and and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love, your great love for us. Thank you for your great mercy and kindness to us. Lord, that you would love us as broken and as hurt, Lord, as we are. Thank you that you stepped into our world became one of us and then you offered up your life sacrificially for us this is something we could never repay you for but Lord it's out of that understanding and out of real just a response to your love that we can begin a relationship with you thank you for showing us love and grace I pray for each person here Lord that they would experience you in a very real way that, that there would be a shift made from religion and outward change to an internal heart change where people establish a real relationship with their Savior, their Maker. Lord, we, we pray for that this morning. We're excited about the day and just all that is in store for Easter today. Lord, I pray that if you're if you're speaking to people about their eternal you know, destiny and just the life that they're living now, Lord, that people would be um, prompted by you, God, to respond to you this morning. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.